Timothy, verses 9 through 22. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychicus, these names are tough, (laughs) I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchment. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he is strongly opposed to our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed, and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia, and all of the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. (laughs) Woo! Well, the title, the title of this morning's sermon is Friend and Foe, and I think it was a foe who assigned that reading to you, Sue. Great job. Great job. <laughs> well, friends, that question, who goes there, friend or foe, you know, that's a question that you might hear a, a century ask as, as a stranger approaches. Who goes there, friend or foe? You know, the, the watchman can't tell yet. There's not enough information to determine. Is this person who's approaching a friend or a foe, an ally or an enemy, someone who's dependable or someone who's dangerous? And Paul comes to the end of his letter, to the end of this letter to Timothy, and he's also coming to the end of his life. And so Paul writes to Timothy to speak to him of both friend and foe. To remind Timothy of those that are allies, And those that are enemies. To let Timothy remember those that are faithful and those that are fleeing. But Paul begins by pleading with Timothy, as we heard, to come see him. Verse 9. Do your best to come to me soon. Now, now why did Paul call for Timothy? Isn't Jesus enough for Paul? Now, Now, Paul is in a Roman prison, but isn't God there with him? In that Roman prison? Wasn't God, wasn't the presence of Christ enough for Paul? Did Paul like forget about Christ's presence with him? Did his faith falter? Friends, it didn't. But Paul, like you and I, in a time of distress, what did he want? He wanted someone to be with him. You know, I've told the story before of the small child who cried out in the darkness of night, Daddy, I'm scared. And just like I would have done, you just yell back from the other room. Honey, don't be afraid. Daddy's right across the hall. But a short time later, the little voice was heard again. I'm still scared. And this time, the father, taking on a little bit of theological wisdom, said, You don't need to be afraid. God is with you. God loves you. 
And the little voice wisely responded, I know God is here, Daddy, but I really want somebody with skin on. And Paul knows that the Spirit of Christ is with him there in that Roman prison as he awaits execution. But Paul still wants someone with skin on. Church, God has given us the gift of one another. You are the presence of Christ with skin on to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are the tangible presence of Jesus Christ to your brother or sister who is struggling or who is alone or who is suffering. This is why physically meeting together is so important. Yes, the online stream that we have is a nice substitute when the physical is not possible. But church, your physical presence means something because you are the presence of Christ to your brothers and sisters. I mean, do you understand how important that makes our participation together? How important that makes our physical meeting together? Your physical presence is an encouragement and a comfort to others Because for you to be here is for others to see Jesus with skin on. And Paul says, Timothy, one last time, let me see you. Come and be with me again. And then Paul names for Timothy and for the church in Ephesus, both friend and foe alike, so that they might know whom they should welcome and of whom they should be wary. And in verses 10 through 11, we learn about the deserter, the doctor, and the desired. The deserter, the doctor, and the desired in verses 10 and 11. Because I'm a pastor and I like alliteration. Verse 10. For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Friends, following Christ is hard sometimes. Following Christ is hard sometimes, and sometimes people desert us. Now, this man, Demas, who it says is in love with this present world and has deserted me, Demas is mentioned multiple times in Paul's other letters. In fact, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, he writes of Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. And then Philemon chapter 1, verses 23 through 24. Paul writes, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you as do Mark, Aristocrus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. So Demas is my fellow worker. He's my companion. He's my friend. And here at the end of Paul's life, he's deserted me. This wasn't a nobody. This was somebody that Paul was close to. Somebody that Paul had walked with that he'd ministered alongside, someone who had promised his faithfulness to Paul, someone who'd, who fought alongside Paul. They, 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 they had battle scars, matching battle scars from the things that they'd faced. And at the very end, he deserted him. Friends, ministry and following Christ can be painful. But sometimes those who are friends those who pledged fidelity, those who fought alongside you, those with whom you shared many miles, those for whom you sacrificed will sometimes, in the end, desert you. I understand Paul's pain. And I'm sure you understand Paul's pain as well. It hurts. 
Demas, my fellow worker, my companion, my friend, here I am at the end of my life, and he deserted me. But even worse for Demas, Paul says he didn't just desert me. He deserted Christ. Paul says that Demas deserted because he was in love with the present world. Demas came to love the present world more than he loved Christ. And church, if there is anything that you desire more than Christ, you also will eventually desert. If you love the acceptance of the culture, the applause of the crowd, your own comfort and convenience, you will find staying faithful to the end impossible. So what tempts you to desert? To quit the hardships and the striving that the race demands? To forsake your promises and your co-laborers? To let go of the faith and to desert your God? Friends, how does the love of this present world tempt you? So Paul mentions this man, Demas, who was a deserter, but he also mentions Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. Verse 11 says, Luke alone is with me. Luke alone is with me. Demas may have deserted, but the doctor is in. Dr. Luke is with me. Every time, in fact, it's interesting, every time we find Demas mentioned in the New Testament, we find alongside him mentioned Dr. Luke. We saw Luke mentioned in the two passages we just read about Demas from Colossians and Philemon. And then here in 2 Timothy 4, in all three of these passages, Paul describes Luke as a doctor, a co-worker, and a friend. And here at the very end of his life, the doctor's in. Luke is with Paul. Now this is valuable not just to note Luke's faithfulness, but friends, this also explains to us Luke's credentials for writing the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the book of Acts. While Luke is only explicitly named these three times in the New Testament, we find many passages in the book of Acts that discuss the Apostle Paul's journeys using the first-person pronouns we and us, as in, I was with them. I was with him on their journey. So, Luke was clearly a companion of Paul. It's okay. Luke was clearly a companion of Paul, and he was an eyewitness of many of the events that he reports on in Acts. And because of his association with Paul and his involvement in the early church, we know that Luke had unique access to eyewitness accounts and testimony of the life of Jesus. Luke was an educated writer. He was uniquely situated and gifted to preserve the, the history of Jesus and the history of the early church. So we learned that Luke was with Paul at the end, and that speaks of Luke's faithfulness, but more than that, it speaks of Luke's presence with Paul. He witnessed the events of Acts that he eventually recorded for us in the Scripture. He had access to the eyewitnesses that witnessed the life of Jesus Christ so that he could compile the Gospel of Luke. And so we find these two works, a history, a true history, of Jesus Christ and His early church. So Demas was a deserter. Luke was the doctor. And finally, Mark, he was the desired one. He was desired. Again, look at verse 11. Get Mark, bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. He's very useful to me in ministry. Friends, you don't understand how significant this statement is. 
because Paul did not always feel this way about Mark. We learn about Paul's relationship with this man named John Mark in Acts chapter 15, verses 36 through 40, which says, After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of God and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to do the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated with each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of God. So this man, John Mark, joined Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. But for some reason, we learn in Acts 13.13 that Mark left them. He abandoned them and went home. And it doesn't say what happened. It doesn't say why he left, but it obviously eroded Paul's confidence in John Mark. So when it came time for the second missionary journey, and Barnabas said, let's take John Mark with us, Paul said, no. He abandoned us once. We're not taking it. It was such a sharp disagreement that Paul left his right-hand man, Barnabas, and Barnabas and John Mark went off to minister, while Paul and Silas went the other way. Now, when Paul and Barnabas, when Barnabas and John Mark went off their own way in Acts 15, that's the last we hear about them in the Gospel of in the Gospel in the Book of Acts. That's the last word we have about them. But the good news is that it's not the last word we have about John Mark. Because if this was the last word we had about him, the last word we would have had about this guy, John Mark, would be his failure. The last word we would have had would be his failure. That, that he was undesirable to Paul. Paul wasn't going to bring him with him. He failed. And that's it. And some of you might be feeling like, I- I'm not failure. You know, the final word on me has been written. You know, it's, it's a final word on failure. It's a word of, of division. It's a word of broken relationship. That's me. But friends, hear the good news. Hear the gospel. Because of grace, your story is not finished. Because God can make the undesirable desirable. So so John Mark was undesired by Paul at this time, but God, by His grace, makes the undesirable desired. Paul did not desire to bring John Mark with him on the second missionary journey, but grace transforms the undesirable John Mark into the desired. In fact, when we read through Paul's letters, later on, Paul wrote a letter to Philemon, and in verse 24, Paul calls Mark his fellow worker. And then when Paul writes to the Colossians in Colossians 4.10, he urges them, if Mark comes to you, welcome him. And finally, in Paul's final days, at the very end of his life, what does he say to Timothy? Get Mark and bring him with you, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Grace has transformed the undesirable John Mark into the desired. He's useful. Bring him to me. It happened with John Mark Church, and it can happen with you too. Because the good news is because of grace, your failure is not final. God may have brought you here just to hear that word. God may have told you to log on today just to hear that word. Because of grace, your failure is not final. The final word in John Mark's life was not his failure. Because of grace, 
the undesirable became the desired. That is what grace does. That is what the gospel does. Because you know what Satan wants to do? He wants you to stay down. He wants to knock you out of the race and go, hey, listen, you're down. Just stay down because you're kind of a failure. Don't start running again. You're undesirable. So just, just give up. But friends, the good news is because of grace, your failure is not final. Grace transforms the undesirable into the desired. And do you know what we would have missed if John Mark had stayed down and stopped running the race? We would have missed an entire gospel. We would have missed an entire gospel. John Mark eventually made his way to Rome where he became a companion of a man named Peter. The Peter. The Apostle Peter. And in Peter's first letter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter called him, Mark, my son. Mark, my son. And early Christian writers, Papias and Irenaeus, say that Mark handed down to us in writing the things that Peter had proclaimed about Jesus. So church, our Gospel of Mark was written by this man, John Mark, the failure of a man who at one time was undesirable to Paul. And if John Mark had stayed down and stopped running the race, we would have lost the entire Gospel of Mark. Friends, God is not done with you. He's not done with you. You may be sitting here today feeling like a failure, like God could never use you. I've blown it too big. I've failed too many times. I'm undesirable. But friends, hear the good news, the gospel, because of grace. Your failure is not final. Grace transforms the undesirable into the desire. Look at what God accomplished in and through John Mark. What might God accomplish in and through you. Grace transforms the undesired into the desired. And Paul goes on. Goes on to continue discussing for us friends and foe alike. In verse 12, Tychius I've sent to Ephesus. Now, Tychius was likely the bearer of the letters sent by Paul to Timothy in Ephesus. And who's this guy? Well, he's a close companion of Paul's, mentioned in Acts 20, verse 4, Ephesians 6, 21, Titus 3, 12. But he's described in Colossians 4, 7. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. You know, this guy, Tychius, He's an unsung hero. I mean, he's mentioned four times in the New Testament. Now, that's not insignificant. To get mentioned four times in the New I just want one mention. He gets mentioned four times in the New Testament, but yet a big deal's never made about him. He was simply a guy who was faithful in day-in, day-out mundane. When Paul needed him, he was there. When something needed to be done, he was willing and he was ready. Friends, Few of us are ever going to be the Apostle Paul, but every one of us can be Tychius. Faithful in the mundane, faithful in the unseen, serving wherever I can, and faithful to the end. And is this who you'll be? Is this who you'll be? A beloved brother or sister, a faithful minister, a fellow servant of the Lord. 
just as he was. Now, verse 13, he goes on and he says, When you come, bring the cloak I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all the parchments. Tim, Paul not only asked Timothy to come, he really wanted to see Timothy, but when he said, When you come, bring the cloaks, the scrolls, the parchments. Now, there's been so much speculation about exactly what were the books and the parchments that he wanted. You know, here's Paul in his final days, and what are these books and parchments they want? Now, most likely... They were, you know, parts of the Old Testament and maybe even parts of some of the Gospels that had been written. But here's Paul in his final days, and what does he want? His ministry, his fruitful ministry is coming to the end. But what does he want to do? He really seems to want to study God's Word. He wants to study God's Word. You know, English Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon used this passage to rebuke pastors who preached but neglected to study. He said of Paul, he said, he's inspired, yet he wants his books. He's been preaching for at least 30 years, yet he wants books. He has seen the Lord, yet he wants books. He's had a wider experience than most men, yet he wants books. He's written a major part of the New Testament, and he wants books. Church, the Word of God was so precious that Paul hungered for it at the end of his life. Bring me the scrolls and the parchments so that I can read them once again. He was going to go meet Jesus face to face. But he couldn't wait. I want to keep reading about him until my faith becomes sight. I want to know a little bit more. I want to read a little bit more. I want to draw closer to him as close as I can. Knowing his faith's about to become sight, he wasn't doing it to prepare himself for future ministry. His ministry was done. He was waiting for the executioner. Friends, he read the Word of God just because he wanted to know God. Because he wanted to be closer to Him. Even though he was about to meet Him face to face and his faith becomes sight. He says, bring me my books so I can read the Word of God. Church, do we have that kind of passion for the Word of God? Do we long for it, hunger after it, the way Paul did here at the very end of his life? Church, what would, the, what would change if the Lord awakened within me and within you and within us a hunger, that kind of overwhelming hunger for the Word of the Lord? How might we be changed? How might this world be changed? Paul continues, naming friend and foe, warning Timothy and the church at Ephesus about this man, Alexander. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. Though the Lord will repay him according to his deeds, beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. Now, there's no certainty, but this, this could be the same Alexander that was mentioned in 1 Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, he writes, of, he writes, By rejecting the faith and a good conscience, some have shipwrecked their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. And we heard Paul call out Hymenaeus again as a false teacher in 2 Timothy 2. So it could be that Alexander is also back and causing trouble. So, again, whether it's the same Alexander or not, the point is that he warns the church. He goes, this man's bad news. This man's bad news. And I want you to note that Paul doesn't shy away from naming names here. He doesn't shy away from naming names. Alexander the coppersmith. Yeah, you know him talking about that guy. He's got a shop there in the corner. 
coppersmith. No, 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 no not, not, not the metal worker, the coppersmith. He names names. He calls them out. Now, some people say that's unloving. That's unloving to call someone out like this. But church, what's unloving is to allow someone going on harming others and not calling them out and naming names. Paul protects the innocent by naming the guilty. Now, church, Scripture is clear. In interpersonal disputes or even questions of sin, it should always be resolved personally. It should always be resolved personally. But only if someone persists in unrepentance, despite escalating interventions, then the naming of names might be necessary for the defending of others. And only because Alexander refused to repent, and only because he remained a foe, did Paul have to name names. And notice that Paul, in doing so, he doesn't call for everybody to take revenge upon Alexander or boycott his business. He says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Church, we are not jury and we are not judge. You and I might appeal that one repent. We might warn of one who continues to harm others. But we leave the final judgment and the sentencing to the Lord. For He will judge. And plus we get a hint here at what Alexander's action against Paul might have been. You see, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. It could be translated as Alexander the coppersmith charged me with much evil. And the expression might actually refer to an actual courtroom in setting the legal charges. Because when Paul went and he stood before the court, Alexander might have been there piling up false charges against Paul. In fact, he might not have just piled up false charges against Paul, but also against Christianity, saying that it was antagonistic to Judaism and, and antagonistic to the pluralistic religions of Rome. So he might have just been piling up all kinds of false charges. And at the first hearing, Alexander may have caused him much harm by bringing these charges. And even worse, look at verse 16. At my first defense, no one. No one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May not be charged against them. Church, Paul stood alone. Alexander or others might have been on one side, heaping on false charge after false charge, and there was none on Paul's side to defend him. Friends, have you ever stood alone? You know, maybe you took a stand for your faith and thought that others were going to join you. Maybe you took a stand and you spoke for the truth, only to hear from behind you a deafening silence rather than voices of support. Maybe you took a stand for another person, and none come to, came to st stand beside you. Now, in those cases, it's easy. It's easy to become angry. It's easy to become bitter. It's easy to consider, well, those persons that didn't step up, they're not friends. They're my foes. And it's even tempting at that point to start praying for your foe's destruction. But friends, because of grace, Paul does not call his friends now his foes. Paul does not hold it against anyone, but did you hear him pray? May it not be charged against them? Church, this is the gospel. The gospel is the good news that Paul did for them what Christ has done for us. 
Because when we were Christ's foes, when we were His enemies, when we not only abandoned Him, when we were the ones condemning Him, bringing the charges against Him, when we were the ones executing Him, hammering nails into His hands and His feet, just as Paul did for His enemies, Christ did for us. He prayed in Luke chapter 23, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. May it not be charged against them. Paul said. Because friends, this is the Gospel. Paul can offer forgiveness to those who failed him because Christ has offered forgiveness to all of us who have failed him. And church, remembering the Gospel, the forgiveness that Christ has extended to you are the persons to whom you today need to pray the same prayer that Paul prayed. Are there persons in your life that you need to pray the way Paul prayed? May it not be charged against them. Friends who maybe despised or deserted you. Friends who did not defend but who left you alone. For whom do you need to pray today? May it not be held against them. And while Paul's friends might have abandoned him, Paul says, I wasn't alone, verse 17, but the Lord stood by me, strengthened me. So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and that all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Friends, this is what we said. This is what we sang right before the sermon. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrows share? Jesus shared Paul's sorrows. He stood with him. He was faithful. And we sang, do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. And thou wilt find a solace there. Paul says, the Lord is faithful. My friends despised. They forsook me. They abandoned me. But Christ was faithful. Friends may fail. Foes may assail. But the Lord is there. He was there for me. The Lord is faithful. And church, how have you experienced the Lord's faithfulness in your life? He who has been faithful will be faithful. And Paul expresses his confidence in verse 18. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, no matter the inaction of friend or the action of foe, God's still going to bring me safely home. He's still going to bring me safely home. We also sang this truth earlier, didn't we? Mine are days here as a stranger, pilgrims on a narrow way, and one with Christ I will encounter harm and hatred for His name. But mine is armor for the battle, strong enough to last the war, and He has said that He will deliver safely to the golden shore. He will deliver safely to the golden shore. He will bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. Church, no matter how friend might fail you or foe might assail you, the Lord will prevail. The Lord will prevail. And He will bring you safely into His heavenly kingdom. It's as Martin Luther celebrated triumphantly in the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. The body they may kill, but God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. He will bring you safely into His kingdom. Church, what confidence does this give you as you face friend who fails or foe 
who would fail. And Paul concludes with some final greetings to friends in verses 19 through 21. You know, we also, we learn about Prisca and Aquila um, in Romans and in Acts and in 1 Corinthians. We met Onisiphorus in chapter 1 of this letter. Erastus is known to us from Acts 19, verse 22, and Romans 16, 23. Trophimus is from Acts 24 and 21, 29. So he's, he's offering some greetings to people that would have been known to the church. But I want to make a note about this man, Trophimus. A brief aside, notice what he says. He says, I love Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Now, some people are out there claiming today that with Christ's death and resurrection, he has won for us health and healing, both spiritual and physical. And that God will heal each and every physical ailment if only we have the faith to name it and to claim it. But friends, such claims miss passages like this. Here's the Apostle Paul himself. This guy's powerful in ministry. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit and still... He was not always empowered to heal. Paul didn't just say, Trophimus, be healed and join me. Let's go. Did he not have faith? Did Paul not have faith? Did Trophimus not have faith? No, Paul had to leave Trophimus at Miletus because of an illness. Church, we should pray for physical healing, but God is not some divine blessing machine to be manipulated by our prayers. We are never promised any specific physical healing. God is sovereign whether He grants healing in each specific case. And so we see that in the case of Trophimus who had to be left behind by the Apostle Paul. Now the final few names that we find in this passage, verse 21, are otherwise unknown to us, but they were known and important to Paul at the church. And I read them and I ask the question, you know, These co-laborers, they were worthy of mention by Paul. Would I be worthy of mention? They they aren't known to us, but they were known to Paul and known to the church, worthy of mentioning the way that I follow, the way that I serve, the way that I love. Would I be worthy of mention? A a valued co-laborer like these. And Paul concludes with what we all need in verse 22. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. Friends, it's only grace that rescued Paul. It's only grace that sustained Paul. And it's only grace that, it's only God's grace that Paul's going to reach the end of the race. It's only by God's grace that Paul can say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 2 Timothy 4, verse 7. It's only by grace that Paul can declare that. And Paul knows that it's only by grace that Timothy, or that me, or that you will cross the finish line. Paul's just cataloged friend and foe alike. And friends, the difference is grace. Ultimately, some rejected grace. And ultimately, some run only by grace. Some were faithful and some fell away. Some were declared friend of the gospel. And some were declared foe of the gospel. And church... On which list will you ultimately be? His grace that brought you safe thus far. And grace will lead me and lead you home. So the Lord be with your spirit.
and grace be with you all. Let's pray. Father, we desperately, desperately need grace. Give us grace that we might run faithfully. That we, like the Apostle Paul, might finish the race. Might keep the faith. May we be not foe, but friend of grace. Friend of the Gospel. Friend of Jesus Christ, who is our hope, as we declared at the beginning of this service. Christ alone, our hope is found. And now send us forth from this place with your grace in our hearts and on our lips. Send us forth until the world knows of Jesus Christ, in whose name we now pray. Amen.